you turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and as you're turning, let's, uh, let's bow for prayer again. I appreciate Mark leading us in that prayer for the offering and in light of the house on their trip and the news that we heard about Exeter. We're looking forward to hearing about the, uh, the trip of the DePadros and Hagler's to Columbia and uh, hear about seeds that were planted there and be praying for them as well. But as we, uh, as we consider the holy God that we've just lifted up, um, in light of the scripture reading this morning, let's just bow for prayer and ask the Lord to help us be ready for his word. Heavenly Father, you are a holy God. Our Lord Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, said that your name is hallowed, revered above all others. And when we think of you and we think of ourselves, we think, what, what are we doing here? And then we think of the work of Christ who died to make us holy. And we recognize, Father, and, and, and admit to you this morning as we pray that we don't always live like the holy, righteous people that you've made us to be in Christ. And so we take this time now just to confess to you silently within our hearts, knowing that you hear us, confess our sins to you. And thank you for the promise that you made that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins and cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. So we ask that you do that for us this morning as we look at your word and again see what a holy, great God you are, worthy of all our praise, glory, and honor. And it's in Jesus, the one who makes it all possible for us through his death, through his resurrection, through his sending of the Holy Spirit to live in all of us who believe. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, introduces um, a prayer that we're celebrating the answer to this morning. We're celebrating other answers to prayer. Heather at the, at the bus stop in Exeter. That's an answer to prayer. How many of you prayed for the team in Exeter over the last few weeks? Just raise your hand. You're not, not bragging, just telling the truth. Raise your hand high so we can see it. A lot of people prayed for that trip to Exeter. So should we be surprised that Heather was waiting there for Chris to show up and share the gospel with her? No, because that's what he does. We didn't know exactly how that was going to work out, but we prayed and asked God to do those things. And he did them. Well, 2,000 years ago plus, the Apostle Paul taught Timothy, a younger minister who was going to be planting churches and, and, and leading works around the, the, the known world, the Roman world at that time. He taught him how to lead the congregations that he was going to be pastoring and leading. He told them how to teach them to pray. And one of the prayers that he introduced is one that we've been praying ever since. And we're here this morning in this country with these freedoms as an answer to this prayer. Let's read it together. 
1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. We'll stop the reading there. For kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And here we are this morning. Over 200 years ago, our country was formed. And you can look at it historically from all different kinds of angles. You can look at it theologically from all different kinds of angles. But there's one thing for sure that we know. That this prayer from 1 Timothy chapter 2 was answered in a very significant way. So significant that here we are over 200 years later after the founding of this country. We're still enjoying the freedoms to do exactly what Paul taught Timothy and his churches to pray for. That we can do what we're doing here in, the, in America freely. So that we can not only live these quiet and peaceful and godly lives in all holiness without being interfered with by our country, by our government, but that we can also let people know how they can be saved. Now, praise God, things have come a long ways in Great Britain. You know, many of our founders, well before the United States was, was a nation, when we were still a colony, many of them came to this, you know, to this area as colonists to get away from the oppression of, of worshiping and serving like they wanted to in England. Now, isn't it cool that we can go back there and, and that, they've, that they've established these freedoms, and that, that you can also share the gospel on the streets and in the, in the, on the doorposts of, of that country? Another answer to this prayer. But we're going to focus on the answer here in the United States of America this morning. How thankful we should be for the opportunity to do what we're doing this morning and what we'll do later this afternoon, not, not as a group, but as we get together with family and friends tomorrow, Tuesday, through this whole 4th of July celebration, we're going to be enjoying the freedom that has been given us by God through the establishment of this country. Now, I wanted us to read from the Deuteronomy passage this morning, not because the United States and Israel are, are, are equal, all right? The United States, some people think the United States is the new Israel. That's not true. That's not scriptural at all. But we learn things from Israel as a nation to help us as believers 
understand the ways of God. And as Israel was coming into Israel, the land that wasn't named after them yet, it was still the land of the Canaanites, many, many nations within that, that small area. As they were coming into that land, they were told by Moses very clearly, don't get a big head. Don't think that you're getting this free land with houses already built and and stores already built and farms already cultivated. Don't think you're getting this because you're so good. You're getting it because I promised it to your your forefathers and Also, you're getting it because it's time for judgment to fall on the Canaanite peoples. And I'm I'm chosen to use you partly to execute it. I say partly because most of the battles of the conquest were fought by God alone. The Israelites just kind of did the, the cleanup work. God was showing himself to be faithful to his promises, and he's the one who brought about those victories. Think of the first battle itself, when Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. I think that's how you say it in the song. You remember how they, how they conquered Jericho? You remember the, remember the marching orders that, Jer- that Joshua gave? as the commanders got together to find out the strategy for, for taking this, huge, this strong city, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to march around the city. And then we're going to come back home. Then we're going to go back out. The second day, we're going to march around the city. And then the seventh day, he finally gets to the, he said, the seventh day, we're going around seven times, and we're going to blow trumpets. And that's ours. And those generals were thinking, What? This is this plan, this is the strategy. Yeah, that was the plan, that was the strategy because God was showing the Israelites something. He was doing this. This wasn't them. It never would be about them. He was going to do this. And he did it. And that was the beginning of the judgment on the Canaanites. That was also the beginning of the gift of that land to the Israelites. But I want us to think about the judgment that fell on the Canaanites and think about our own situation in the United States as we celebrate this great gift that God has given us. The Canaanites were were being judged for 400 years of murder, of all different kinds of adulteries, which is the misuse of God's gift of marriage. You can read Leviticus 18 to find out all the different varieties of adulteries that the Canaanites were committing. They were being judged for 400 years of the abuse of babies in their culture and in their worship. They were being judged for idolatry, 400 years of it. And as I was reading that list, I was thinking about us. And I was thinking about our country. And I was thinking about the current abuses of the very things that the Canaanites were guilty of. And 
and judgment fell. And it fell hard. And that wasn't obviously the only time the judgment came and fell. Think back to an earlier story from Genesis chapter 18 when God decided it was time for judgment to fall on Sodom and Gomorrah. And that story gives us some hope because there Abraham, as as God was revealing to him what he was going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah for their sins, and remember this about Sodom and Gomorrah and and the Canaanite judgment. Remember this. They were not judged according to the law of Moses. They didn't have the law of Moses. They were being judged by the law that God had written on the hearts of all men and still does on every person who's born. We have an understanding of certain rights and wrongs. We're gifted that. And they were being judged accordingly. And so in the Sodom and Gomorrah instance, Abraham says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if there's 50 righteous people in that city, in those cities? You're going you're gonna to bring you know, your judgment down with those righteous people being there? And God says, nope, if there's 50 there, we won't judge them. And then Abraham thought, well, maybe I, maybe I was a little too aggressive. What about 45? And on and on it goes. Well, it turns out there weren't 50, there weren't 45, there weren't 35, there weren't... There, there was only Lot and his family, and I say his family with quotes around it. Now, that, that's, that little story gives us some hope because there are more than 50 righteous people in the United States. And I don't say that braggingly because we understand where righteousness comes from. It's not us. It's people who understand the righteousness of God gifted to us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there there are many in our country who believe. Many in our country, because of their faith in Christ, are righteous people. And would God bring judgment on on a nation like ours for all the indiscretions and all the sins against his holiness and against his gift of marriage and against his gift of family and against the babies? Would he withhold his judgment on our country because of the righteous of the country? We don't know the answer to that yet. But we do know this. There was still a remnant of righteous people in Israel when they were judged. So there does come a time when even with righteous among the rebellion, the judgment falls. And what I want to encourage us to do this morning with the freedoms that we have and that we're celebrating today as we close is to remind us of our part in using these freedoms to help the very nation that's been gifted to us. To not take it for granted, but to use these freedoms to pray for our country, to pray for conviction. We need to, we need to pray for the Heathers at, at the bus stop in Exeter that live in our neighborhood. We need to pray that God would open up those conversations for us while we're walking our dogs and while we're going to the store and while we're sitting waiting on our kids from their 
things and all that stuff. We need to pray that God would be preparing hearts that we would be ready to share the truth of the gospel with the Heathers around us. And as we share the gospel, we also share the truth of God's word and awaken in them that truth that's already written in their hearts and they begin to realize, oh, wait a minute, I have fallen for the lies of this culture in thinking that wrong is right and right is wrong. And to awaken that back up in them so that they can also, as we did this morning and need to continue to, that they can also repent of their sins and put their trust in Christ. And see a great awakening happen in this country that right now is headed on its way to awful judgment. We can do something about that. Will it be enough and will it be in time? We don't know that. But we know we can use the freedoms that we have and use them today while we have them. And to pray and to speak. And also while we still have the opportunity, and to vote. Use the freedoms that we have for the glory of God, for his purposes. Not just for the enjoyment factor that we also have in this country. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed this week not having to register, you know, with the Forsyth County of of Travel to get permission to go down, you know, to Panama City Beach and get scared by a shark. I'll tell you that story later. It's a great thing, but it's not the greatest thing. The greatest thing is what we get to do in regard to our faith and the exercise of it. And so let's use it. Because as the truth is marching on, so our country is also marching on to judgment unless it turns. And so let's do our part. As those who aren't going to face his judgment ever, at least ultimately and eternally, but to share that good news with those who still don't know it and to help people understand the lies that are involved in this culture that we live in. Help them understand the truth. And they again, they know it. When you start talking with them, it'll start awakening in them. We have to have the courage and the boldness and the love and the respect to share the truth with those that we love and this country that we love, that we're so thankful for because it is a gift from him, an answer to the prayers of many that didn't have anything to do with actually bringing it to us. God did it. Let's use it for his glory. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for the privilege on this 4th of July weekend, the privilege of singing these songs of praise to you, of offering these prayers to you, of looking into your word and seeing the truth of it, even the hard truth of judgment, but recognizing that it's your truth and your truth is the truth. And we can believe it and we can be sure of it. And we're thankful that you put on Jesus the judgment that those of us who believe in him should have received. But you put it on him. And Father, there are some here this morning or online with us who still haven't given you their sins. 
they still haven't confessed those sins to you and, and, and turned away from those sins in repentance to say, Jesus, take mine that I may not have to bear the judgment that I deserve for those sins. And Father, we thank you that in, in Jesus you forgive all who call on you. So give people who haven't done that yet the courage, the wisdom, and the faith to believe in Jesus and what he's done and who he is. Father, you know what's going on in our country where in so many ways right is wrong and wrong is right. We pray that you would be convicting people of their sins and that you would send them, us, not just Midway Community Church Christians, but Christians all around this country, that you would send us to them at just that right moment, like Heather at Exeter. That we would be willing to share that good news. To tell them to tell them our stories of how you saved us, of how you forgave us from our sins, of how you changed our minds about what's right and what's wrong. And we pray that you'd use us to shine brightly in this dark place. And Father, for those who lead us and govern us, as Paul instructed Timothy, we take that to heart this morning and we pray for the kings and all those in authority in our own country. We're thankful we don't have a king. We're thankful that we have a president that we elect and we pray for him this morning. We pray that you would work in his life, that you would rev up in him that knowledge that, that he has of what is right and what is wrong and allow him to rule by that. Convict him if he's thinking otherwise. And for the vice president, for the cabinet, for our elected representatives, our senators and, and, and congressmen and women. Awaken them to the truth that you've revealed to them, not only in your word that many of them have had access to in our country, but also that truth that they know from in their hearts that you gave them at birth to know right from wrong. Help them to listen to that and rule accordingly. For our judges as well. For our local and state leaders as well, Father, we pray that you would awaken that sense of right and wrong in them. And that, Father, through that, that they also, if they don't already know you, that they also would come to faith in Jesus Christ and rule by the power of your Spirit. And, Father, as you're doing that, we pray that you would use us to shine brightly and to live our lives in all quietness and peacefulness, in holy holiness and godliness, as you gave us this country to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.